0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. I've been checking over the numbers for the past 30 days, and our variety shows only do about half as well as our cop and detective shows. So, I'm bringing back some cop and detective shows and mixing in a little bit of variety. The stories are all new, you haven't heard them before, and I hope you enjoy them. And now, Dragnet.
1: Sound off for Chesterfield. Chesterfield, the first and only cigarette in America to give you premium quality in both regular and king size, brings you Dragnet.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to auto theft detail. A gang of car strippers has been operating in your city. From their M.O., you know they're professionals. They move fast. Your job? Get them. Friends, you'll remember some months ago, we read you our first report, the six-months report on the effects of smoking. Then more recently, we read you the eight-months report. Now, here is the latest
1: one the full 10-months report confirms again. The group examined showed no adverse effects on the nose, throat, and sinuses from smoking
2: Chesterfields. This from a medical specialist who is making regular, bi-monthly examinations of a group of people from various walks of life. 45% of them have smoked Chesterfield
1: for an average of over 10 years. After 10 full months, the specialist reports he observed no adverse effects on the nose, throat, and sinuses of the group From smoking Chesterfield.
2: That's the report. Buy much milder Chesterfield, regular or king-size. The cigarette that's best
1: for you. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department... You will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, August 5th. It was warm
3: in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of auto theft detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Nelson. My name's Friday. I was on my way back from the telephone booth, and it was 10.23 p.m. when I got to the parking lot. Our car. You called in? Yeah. They haven't hit tonight so far. What's the time now? A little after 10.30. Parking lot's about empty. Yeah. The attendant left a few minutes ago. Frank? Yeah, I see him. Over there going for that Cadillac.
4: Yeah. You got a good look at him?
3: No, it's too dark. He's forcing the door. Come on. All right. All right, hold it up there. He's in the car, Joe. All right, hold it up. He is not want to stop you. He's heading for that intersection. He'll never get through. Come on. That looks pretty bad, Joe. Yeah. Back into that Dodge, didn't he? All right, let us through, please. Come on, please let us through. I'll check the Cadillac. Right, I'll get the other car. The three people in that Dodge are lucky. Doesn't look too bad. I'll call the ambulance. Yeah, we'll tell them to hurry. I don't think this one's gonna wait. 10.46 p.m. The ambulance arrived, and after emergency treatment at the scene, the victims were removed to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. A traffic car had been dispatched to investigate the accident. Upon arrival at the emergency hospital, we were informed that the suspect had died on the way. The dead body was identified by his personal effects as Charles Roxford, age 16. The juvenile bureau was contacted and they requested that in the course of our investigation, we notify the boy's family. 11.27 PM, Frank and I drove out to the address listed on the victim's identification. It was a house above the Sunset Strip. We rang a bell and waited.
4: I'll try it again now. Somebody's
3: coming. Mm -hmm. Yes? Mrs. Roxford?
5: That's right. What is it?
3: Police officers, ma'am. We'd like to talk to you.
5: Police? Well, come in. I don't know what you want with us, but come in. Thank you. Come into the living room. Thank you very much. Now, sit down. What is it?
4: There's been an accident, Mrs. Roxford. An accident? Yes, ma'am. Pretty bad one.
5: What's this got to do with me?
4: Well, you see, ma'am,
3: your boy was... Joe? Well, we're sorry to have to tell you this, ma'am, but your boy was in an accident tonight. Charles? Yes, ma'am.
5: You said it was a bad accident.
3: Yes, ma'am, we did.
5: How bad? How bad?
3: Your son's dead, ma'am.
5: Charles? Charles Roxford... You're, you're sure you have the right house?
3: Yes, ma'am. We're sorry, Miss Roxford. Oh,
5: Charlie, he was only a baby. Just a baby. Oh, you're sure there's no mistake? You're sure?
3: Afraid not, ma'am.
5: How did it happen?
3: Well, it was an automobile accident, ma'am.
5: In an automobile?
3: Yes, ma'am. Your boy was driving a car.
5: Oh, but Charlie doesn't have a car. He doesn't drive.
3: Your boy was driving a stolen car, Mrs. Roxford. What? Your son had a stolen car, ma'am. He was trying to get away.
5: Well, that's not true.
3: Afraid it is, ma'am.
5: Why, no. You're lying to me. Charles wouldn't do a thing like that.
4: Afraid that's the way it is,
6: ma'am.
5: Oh, that's terrible. I can't believe that Charlie'd do something like that. I thought I knew him. I I didn't think he'd do anything like that. Well, did you see it? The accident. Were were you there?
3: Yes, ma'am, we were.
5: How did it happen?
3: Well, he'd stolen the car, ma'am. He tried to escape. He ran the car out into a crowded street. One of the cars in the traffic didn't have time to stop. Your boy ran right into it.
5: Wasn't there something you could do to stop him?
3: Well, we tried, ma'am. Yelled at him. He almost ran us down. You know where your boy was tonight, Mrs. Roxford?
5: No. No, he had dinner and then said he was going out. I I thought he was going to a show or something. Mm -hmm. No, I didn't know where he was going.
3: Did he leave the house alone?
5: Yes. Left right after dinner, about eight. Said he'd be back later. Said he... He'd see me later, That he left.
3: Is there anything we can get for you, Mrs. Roxford?
5: No, no, nothing.
3: Where's your husband, ma'am?
5: I guess he's at his office. He sells insurance. Said he had to meet a client tonight. I don't know what he's going to do when he hears about this. Gonna hit him awfully hard, awfully hard.
4: Yes, ma'am.
5: He and the boy were very close. I don't know what he's going to do when he hears about it.
4: Did the boy give you any idea during dinner as to what he was going to do
3: after he left?
5: No. No, he didn't. I didn't talk much to him.
3: Well, yeah.
5: You see, I wasn't here. I was out most of the afternoon. I, I didn't get home until just before he left. He just finished dinner, and then he left. I see, man. I was at the bridge club. I always go on Tuesdays. Oh, if I'd known, if I'd only known what was going to happen. Am I going to see him?
3: Well, we want either you or your husband to identify him, ma'am.
5: Yeah? Charlie, He's dead. Just a baby, just a little boy. You were there. You could have done something. You're a police officers. Isn't that your job? Beg your pardon? Well, isn't it your job to help people to do something when they're in trouble? Well, yes, ma'am, I suppose it is, but it was a little late for that, wasn't it? What does that mean?
3: Well, he was 16 when we met him, Miss Roxby.
5: What's that got to do with it?
3: Somebody should have tried a long time ago. <laughs> Most car thefts fall into three basic categories, well-known by all police officers. First, the cars that are stolen by professionals who change the motor numbers, forge owner certificates, repaint the bodies, and sell them throughout the country. The second group consists of joyriders, thieves who steal the cars for a few hours, merely to ride around in them and then leave them on the streets. The third category, and the one we've been working on for the past six weeks, dealt with the activities of car strippers. Their M.O. followed the usual pattern for this type of crime. The car would be stolen and then driven to some lonely part of the city. There, all usable accessories would be removed. Radios, tires, air horns, side mirrors, anything that could be resold would be taken. In certain cases, the articles would be stolen while the car remained parked where the owner had left it. We found that the gang had become so proficient that they could break into a car and remove the radio, as well as other accessories, in under 10 minutes. Avenues of sale for the stolen merchandise had been checked. Known dealers and stolen property had been questioned. As the days went on, the total of thefts went up. By the 5th of August, the gang had stolen over $12,000 in automobile accessories. In the instances where we'd been able to get a description of men loitering in the vicinity of the stripped cars, we'd had the witnesses check mug books in the hope of identifying the thieves. We'd gotten no new leads. Physical evidence at the scene of the abandoned cars had been checked and rechecked. It netted us nothing. A week passed, August 14th, eight fifteen a.m. Frank and I got back to the office.
4: Captain's really boiling, isn't
3: he? Yeah, you can't blame him, though. they got to stop cold. Well, we're going to get a break in it sometime. All the luck can't stay on their side. I don't know. It looks like it could happen that way. Anything on the steakhouse last night? No, nothing that we got so far. Maybe something later. i got get it. Auto theft, Friday. I beg your pardon, ma'am? Well, no. Well, yeah. What was that again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, yes, ma'am, but... All right. What was that address again? Yes, I, I have a pencil. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll send a unit out. I'm sure they can help you. No, I suggest you get in touch with the SPCA. No, SPCA. Yes, that's... All right. Bye. Well, there's a the dandy one. What's that? Woman lost a cat from her car. I wanted to know if we'd get it back for her. Yeah? Says so it's real easy to recognize. He has a collar on, and he answers the name of Tabby. Oh,
4: that makes it easier.
3: Yeah.
6: Out of that, Smith. Yes, sir. That's right. Uh Uh-huh. Where are you calling from,
4: sir? Yes, sir. That's on Wilshire, right? All right, sir. We'll be right there. Anything? Yeah, a doctor out on Wilshire parked his car out in front of his office.
3: Came back in 10 minutes, his car radio was gone. 8.56 a.m. Frank and I got to the doctor's office. It was in a large medical building out on Wilshire Boulevard. We went up to the second floor and talked to the man who placed the call, a Dr. Alex Halsey. He told us that he'd stopped at his office on the way to a hospital call. He'd parked his car immediately in front of the building. When he returned 10 minutes later, he found that the radio had been stolen. From his office, we called the crime lab and latent fingerprints detail. Crews of men were sent from both divisions. They went over the car for possible physical evidence. Frank and I, along with Dr. Halsey, went down to the street. We talked to him while the officers worked.
7: Darnest thing I ever saw. I tell you, I wasn't in the building more than ten minutes. Ten minutes outside. Yes, sir. Came back, and I could see right away that the door had been opened. Uh-huh. First, I thought maybe I'd left it open. Then, when I got in the car, I knew right away. As Soon as I saw, the radio was gone. Yes, sir. Did you notice anyone loitering around your car when you parked in? Anybody suspicious, maybe? No, no, I didn't. Of course, I might not have noticed anyone. Had my mind on Julie. Julie? Yes, I'm operating on her this afternoon. Poor little kid has an intestinal disorder. Only three months old Gee, that's too bad. Yes, she'll be fine, though. Of course, the parents are worried. They always are. Can't convince them there's nothing to worry about.
4: Yes, sir. Then you didn't notice anyone, huh?
7: No, like I said, I didn't. You sure you locked your car, sir, when you left it? Oh, yes, I'm sure about that. Always make it practice to lock it when I leave it. Lots of times I leave instruments in it. Always have to be careful about the instruments. Oh, yes, sir, I always lock it.
4: How about the windows? What? The windows. Did you roll them all the way up?
7: Roll them up? Well, now, once in a while I don't. Try to think of that. I'm not sure about this morning. No, come to think of it, I guess I didn't close them this morning. Such a wonderful day. Yes, sir.
4: Well, that's probably how they got into your car. You have to have the serial number of the radio, Dr. Halsey?
7: No, no, I don't think I have. Might be on the papers. I just got the car a couple of months ago. Might be on the papers. I can check them for you.
3: All right, sir. That'll help.
7: I'll have my secretary look them up for you right away.
3: Anyone else drive the car,
7: Dr. Halsey? Oh, no, sir. Don't believe in that. I'm the only one. Been the only one to drive it. Don't believe in lending the car to somebody else. Never have believed in it.
4: Mm mm-hmm. Excuse me a minute, Doctor Halsey. Surely. Yeah, Leonard, got a couple of clean prints on the dashboard. Might belong to the thief. Yeah. I'd like to check the doctor. It might be his. Okay. Wait a minute. I'll get the kit. I know. Hey, Doctor Halsey.
7: Yes, Sergeant.
4: Okay. Uh,
3: this is Sergeant Tankersley of the fingerprint department. He'd like to check your prints. How you
7: do you do,
4: sir? All right, Doctor. Wonder if I could look at your fingers, please.
7: Surely. Can you tell just from looking at them what you want to know?
4: No, sir, but you see, the prints we found are whorl. If your prints were loops, there'd be no reason to take them.
7: Oh, oh, yes. Uh Uh-huh, I see. How about it, Lenny?
4: Better roll them up for comparison. Hmm? We're going to take your prints, Doctor, if you have no objection.
7: Oh, no, no, of course not. Glad to help.
4: All right, sir. You want to step over here? We can take them in the officer's car.
7: Yes, glad to.
4: Here, I'll get the door. I'll get the pad. Now, Doctor, if you'll let me have your hand. Surely, here. But no, sir. If you let me do it, it'd be a little easier.
7: Oh, yes. Just trying to help.
4: I will. Put them on the card. Never knew my fingers were so big. Just that we're taking the print of the whole tip of the finger, sir. Makes it look that way. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. All right, doctor. You can get the ink off with this, I think. Here, I'll pour a little on this cloth. Here you go. Uh, yeah, yes, thank you. What do you think, Leonard? I'll check them now there be a break if they were the thieves. Mm. Well, there must be. Couldn't be
7: anyone else's.
3: Well, how about your family, Doctor? Possible the prince could be theirs, maybe?
7: Oh, no, no. No chance. Jenny, that's my wife. She has her own car. Kids always use that one. Like I said, I'm the only one who uses this. Uh-huh. How about it, Len? Make them? Yeah. They belong to the
4: Doctor.
3: a.m. The crime lab crew gathered what physical evidence they could find and returned to check over their findings. Frank and I took a report from Dr. Halsey, and then we talked to his secretary. She was unable to find the ownership papers on the car. We drove over to the dealer who had sold him the car and got the serial number of the stolen radio. We notified pawn shop detail and gave them the information. For the next three weeks, stakeouts on the parking lots in the central area continued. Arrests were made, but the thieves apparently had no connection with the gang we were after. They kept hitting. But the speed with which they operated made apprehending them difficult. On Friday, September 5th, we got a call that a stolen car had been recovered out in Topanga Canyon. We drove out to check on it. The tires, radio, horns, heater, spotlights, fog lights and the side view mirrors had been taken. The seat covers had been removed and the hubcaps were missing. Again, there was no physical evidence that gave us a lead to the thieves. That night at 10.52 p.m., Frank and I checked back into the office.
4: Another long day. Yeah, kind of tired myself. kind of hate to call Faye. Why's that? Oh, this morning when I left, I told her I'd be home for dinner, sure. Well, didn't you call her? No, I forgot all about it. She's really going to be sore. Yeah, well, she'll get over it. I don't know, Joe. It's going to be a couple of days of quiet around the house, I think. Why, just because you missed a meal? No, it ain't that. She had tamale pie for dinner. Boy, she sure makes it good, too. A lot of cheese, you know?
3: Yeah, well, she can warm it up for you when you get home. Here, go ahead. All right. You want to sign us out, I'll check the book.
4: Yeah, I'll get it.
3: Anything? Yeah, a call from Brennan out in Wilshire. I'll call him. Hello, Brennan around? Yeah, all right.
4: Say what it was about?
3: No, I'm calling him now. Yeah, hi, Brennan. It's Friday. Yeah. You did, huh? Where'd that happen? No kidding. Was well, the brakes, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Picked up a kid for running a red light driving a hot rod. Yeah? Car was fixed up with a lot of new stuff. Guys out of Wilshire checked it over. Uh-huh. According to the serial number on the radio, it was stolen from Dr. Halsey. <laughs>
1: listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. In 1952, American
2: smokers bought more Chesterfields than ever before in the history of the industry. Today, sales are still going up. Smokers everywhere are changing to
1: Chesterfield. Chesterfield, the first and only cigarette to give you premium quality in both regular and king size. Premium quality in a cigarette means the world's best tobaccos, the best ingredients, the best cigarette paper. Only Chesterfield gives you this premium quality in both popular sizes. King-size Chesterfield contains tobaccos of better quality
2: and higher price than any other king-size cigarette. That's certainly important to every king-size smoker. Of course, it's the same fine tobacco as in regular Chesterfield. There is absolutely no difference except that king-size
1: Chesterfield gives you more than a fifth longer smoke. Remember, the modern way to sell cigarettes is the Chesterfield way. Premium quality, both regular and king-size. Chesterfield is much milder. Chesterfield
2: is best for you. 7.27
3: p.m., Frank and I drove out to Wilshire Division. We checked with Sergeant Brennan, and he told us how the boy had been picked up. He'd run a red light at the corner of Pico and La Brea. He'd been stopped by two officers in a cruiser car. He was driving a cut-down 49 Ford that was equipped with Cadillac hubcaps, white sidewall tires, Chrysler horns, and a Cadillac radio. The officers had started to question him, and he'd attempted to escape. He'd been apprehended and brought to the station to be interrogated. In checking the serial number of the radio, the men from Wilshire Division had discovered that it was stolen and had left word for us. 11.45 p.m. We went to an interview room
8: to talk to the boy.
6: What's your name, son? Martin. First name?
8: Herb. Herb Martin.
3: You know why you're here, don't you? Yeah. You want to tell us where you got that stuff? I bought it. Where?
8: Different places.
4: You remember where? Not right off. How old are you?
8: 19. Where do you live? It's on the report.
4: We're asking you. Come on, Herb.
8: Eighty-two
3: ninety-seven Marianne Drive. Where were you going when they stopped you? Home. Where'd you been? Around. Same place you bought that stuff on your car, huh? Yeah, that's right. Now, look, you better come off this young fella. You might think you're a big man, but you got things a little mixed up here. You got caught with a carload of stolen accessories. has been a lot of stealing going on around town. The way your car looks, you could be responsible for it.
8: Yeah, well, I'm not.
3: You look good for it.
8: Look, maybe I lifted the radio and stuff, but that don't mean I'm in on the other. Sure, I got no choice. You got me nailed for the stuff you found, but I'm not going to take it for the others. Maybe I stole that stuff, but that was for me. I didn't sell it like the others. Now, leave me alone, huh? What do you mean, others? I don't know what you mean. You said the others. Well, I didn't mean others like well, that. Well, how did you mean it? Well, like the guys you're looking for.
3: That's not the way it sounded. No, you said it like you knew who you were talking about.
8: I didn't say it like that.
3: That's the way it sounded. That's right, son. Now, why don't you tell us who you meant? Look, Herb, we haven't got all day. Come on, boy. We're going to get them sometime. Who'd you mean?
8: All right, I'll tell you.
3: We continued to talk to Herb Martin. He told us of the activities of a gang of car strippers who were working on order. He went on to say that from what he'd heard, if someone wanted to pick up some fast money, a connection could be made with a man on the corner of Sunset and Western. The man would give the order for the stolen merchandise and say where and at what time it was to be delivered. Herb told us that he had the opportunity to do business with the man, but that he turned it down. He was unable to identify the man who made the contact and said that he'd never heard him referred to by name. He gave us the names and addresses of two of the men who were working for him. 12.45 a.m., Frank and I left and drove back downtown. With the assistance of officers from Wilshire Division, the two young men were brought in for questioning. They identified their contact as a Richard R. Ogden. We ran the name through R. and I and found that Ogden had a previous record of petty theft. From the 510 in his package, we obtained his last known address, but the landlady told us that he'd moved and left no forwarding address. She told us, however, that she thought we could find him at the Meyer garage on South Hoover. We drove over and found that it was a small place on the corner of Hoover and Mariposa. The owner, Alan Meyer, told us that Ogden did work for him, but that he was out. He said that the suspect was expected back almost any time. While we talked to him, Meyer worked on a small foreign car.
6: Great little cars. Get a real kick out of working on them. Yeah, sure nice looking. You sell them, do you? No, I just service them. Mm-hmm. Oh, now and then, I get accessories for them. You know, I order them up, install them. Cost too much to keep a regular stock of them. Yeah. When did you say that Ogden would be back? Well, he should be here now. Probably got hung up someplace. Yeah, latest thing is a hardtop. Made out of laminated fiberglass. Is that right? Yeah, fits right over them. Kind of makes them look like a small Rolls, you know? Then with wire wheel caps, baggage racks, wind wings, you can put a lot of money in them. Yeah, I guess so. What about all this other stuff here? Is that for these foreign cars, too? Yeah, what do you mean?
3: Oh, the tires, the hubcaps here.
6: No, no, that's where I make most of my money. I go out and buy them from Rex, bring them back here, straighten them out, resell them to the independent stations around town. They can sell them a lot cheaper than new ones run. We both make a little money out of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Say, you guys like some peanuts? No. No, no, thanks. Okay, you don't mind if I have some, huh? Sure you don't want any? No. Thanks very much. i guess I'm hungry in the morning. I'll keep these things around and munch on them. Yeah. Go through a whole can of these a day. That'd kill me. I can get started on the things, you can't stop. You so sure you don't want some, huh? No, no thanks. How long have you known this Ogden, Meyer? Oh, I see. Uh, I guess it's been ten years anyway. He went to work for me a year ago. Mm-hmm. Good man, brought a lot of business in. Say, What does you want to see him about?
4: Oh, we like to talk to him. You don't want to tell me, huh? It'd be better if we talk to him, Mr. Meyer. Yeah.
6: Well, here he is now. Hey, Dick. Yeah? A couple of fellas here want to see you. Yeah, what is it? You Richard Ogden?
9: Yeah, that's right.
6: Police officers, I'm Frank Smith. This is my partner, Joe Friday. What did you guys want me for? Like talk to you, Ogden. Well, go ahead. Might be better if we went outside. Well, look, you can talk to him here. I got some work I can do in the office.
4: Don't want to bother you, Mister Meyer.
9: No, no trouble at all. Well, now, what's this
4: all about?
3: You know a couple of kids named Jerry Z. Swanson and a uh, Harry T. Benson? Swanson and
6: Benson? No, I don't think I do. They say they know you. Say they do some work for you. Sorry to bother you. Forgot my peanuts. It's all right, sir. I'll be in the office if you need anything. Thank you, sir. No, anything at all. Yes, sir. What about it, Ogden? What about what? You know
3: the kids, this Benson and Swanson? No, I told you what. All right, mister, let's go downtown. We'll talk it over there, huh? What
9: for? Why are you pulling me in?
3: We want you to meet the two boys if you don't know them. Well, what's that going to prove? We want to know why they named you. Why they said you were responsible for the car stripping that's been going on. You mean you believe them? We've got no reason not to. I don't think they'd stage a thing like this. They've got a lot to lose. So have I. You get me
9: down there and those two kids point me out and I haven't got a chance. Even if I'm not the one and they say I am, you won't give me a break.
4: No, if you haven't done anything, you've got nothing to worry about. I'm not going.
9: Alan. Hey, Alan.
6: Yeah, what is it, Dick? Come here, will you? Yeah, right away. What's the matter? Something wrong?
9: Well, these guys are going to take me to jail.
6: Well, what for? What's he
3: done? We want to talk to him, Meyer. We think he's involved in some car thefts.
6: Well, I know that's not true. Dick wouldn't do a thing like that. I know. I've known him a long time. No, I'm sorry, sir, but the information we've got says he did. Why, Dick? Why'd you do a thing like that? Hmm? If what these officers say is true, well... Gee, that's awful. Why would you do a thing like that?
9: What are you talking
6: about? All right, come on, Argonne, let's go. No, I'm not going. I think you better do what the officers say, Dick. It'll be better if you don't cause any trouble.
9: Well, wait a minute. What are you trying to prove with this?
6: I don't know what you mean. Next thing, you'll be trying to
9: involve me in this. Yeah, well, that's just what I'm going to do. You see, officers, that's terrible. Well, don't you listen to him. He's the guy behind the whole thing. Look over there, the tires, all this stuff. Sure, I stole him. I had the kids go out and pick him up, but he set it up. He sold him to the stations. He took most of the money. The whole, whole thing was his idea. Well, Dick, how can you say that? Well, but... I can say it because it's true. I'll tell you all about it. You take him downtown, I'll tell you all about it. You're not going to let me stand for this alone.
6: And to think that he'd do a thing like this to me after we've been friends for so long. Bring me stolen merchandise to sell.
3: You got anything to back up what you're saying, August? Sure I have. You just bet I
9: can back it up. Go ahead. Well, you look at his books. Not the ones he's got out in the open, but you look at the ones in the safe. It's all there. All the deals he's made with the owners of the stations, all the orders, what he paid the kids for him, and what he got for them. Didn't think I knew about it, did you? Whole lousy year I've been doing the dirty work for him. Well, I've had it. I'm through. I've had it. Let me take the beef. What a crumb.
6: I'll show him. I don't understand it. Friends for so long. I'd have gotten you out. Ten years we've been friends. I trusted you all that time. Then you sold me out. Why? Well, that shouldn't be too tough for you to figure. Huh? You showed him how.
2: The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent.
1: On January 21st, trial was held in Department 87... ...Superior Court of the State of California... ...in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb.
3: Thank you, George Fenneman. Remember, only Chesterfield gives you this scientific evidence... ...on the effects of smoking. After ten full months, the group examined... ...showed no adverse effects on the nose, throat and sinuses... ...from smoking Chesterfield. Now, speaking personally, as a Chesterfield smoker... ...I know they're best for me. Either way, you like them... You'll find Chesterfield is best for you.
1: Richard R. Ogden and Alan Y. Meyer were tried and convicted of receiving stolen property. They received sentences as prescribed by law. Receiving stolen property is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not more than ten years or in the county jail for not more than one year. The investigation of the records of Alan Y. Meyer uncovered the names of the other men involved in the thefts. They, along with Herbert S. Martin, Jerry Z. Swanson, and Harold T. Benson, were tried on a charge of grand theft auto and convicted. They were sentenced to the state penitentiary at San Quentin, California, for the term as prescribed by law. Grand theft auto is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not less than one, nor more than ten years. Ladies and gentlemen...
2: 10 million Americans have diseases of the heart and blood vessels. What are the causes and the cures? Well, it'll take research to find out. Send what you can to Heart, care of your local post office. Help your heart fund. Help your heart. <laughs>
1: Just Heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the Office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Fraser. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Sarah Selby, Art Gilmore. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking.
2: For a million laughs, tune in Chesterfield's Martin and Lewis show Tuesday night on this same NBC station. And sound off for Chesterfield, either regular or king size. You'll find premium quality Chesterfields much milder. Chesterfield
1: is best for you. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet transcribed from Los Angeles.
6: Tonight, it's Adventure with Barry
3: Craig, Confidential Investigator on NBC.
1: Sound off for Chesterfield. Chesterfield. The first and only cigarette in America to give you premium quality in both regular and king size brings you Dragnet.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to forgery detail. Two men have been passing bad checks in your city. You have descriptions of both of them. You know the names on the checks. Your job, get them. First, we read you the 6 months report. Then, the 8 months report. Now, here is 10 full
1: months of scientific evidence on smoking Chesterfields. A medical specialist is making regular bi-monthly examinations of a group of people from various walks of life. 45% of this group have smoked Chesterfields for an average of over 10 years. After 10 full months, almost a year now, the specialist reports he observed no adverse effects on the nose, throat, and sinuses of the group from smoking Chesterfield. That's the report. And Chesterfield
2: is the first and only premium quality cigarette throughout, in both regular and king size. Fine tobaccos, the world's best, kept tasty and fresh, wrapped in the finest cigarette paper money can buy. Yes, everything that goes into your Chesterfield makes it the premium quality cigarette. And it's the only cigarette that gives you scientific evidence of real smoking pleasure. Try much milder Chesterfield today.
1: They're best for you. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment... Dragnet is the story of your police force in action.
3: It was Thursday, April 8th. It was windy in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of forgery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Welsh. My name's Friday. We were on the way back from the main jail, and it was 9.46 AM when we got to room 29. Forgery.
4: Well, that wraps
3: that one up. Yeah. When are we going to arrange him? Oh, I'll figure day after tomorrow. Okay. Well, let's get started on these other crime reports, huh? Yeah. Friday,
4: Smith. Yeah, Skipper. Huh. See you a minute.
3: Sure. Sit down. What's up, Skipper?
4: How's the Clements thing going?
3: Well, we just talked to him. Says so he'll plead guilty. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, I want you to take a look at this. Okay. Oh, border checks, huh? Yeah. I want you two to go to work on it. Are we going to work with Saunders and Bomi on it? I want you to take it over. Well, sir, a case in it. Yeah, but we got a call from San Francisco last night. They got Richards up there. Oh? At least they know he's operating in the Bay Area. Saunders and Bomey left last night. They've been on that one for the last year. Looks like they can clean it up. They get back for you, busters, they'll give you a hand. Well, what's the pitch on it, Skipper? It's all there. Let's take a look, huh, Joe? Mm-hmm. Sure, a bunch of paper. Near as we can figure, they've been working a little over a year. Yeah. All the checks are drawn on big companies here. You any idea where they're getting them? No, not yet. How far we got on it? Saunders and Bohmie have been working on it. They got about halfway through the list of print shops in the city, and then this thing up north came up. Mm-hmm. Let me see some of the checks, oh, will you, yeah. John? Sure, here. You got rubber companies, oil companies, department stores, aircraft. Plants. How about the ID when they pass them? It the works. Driver's licenses, social security cards, lodge cards. Looks legit enough. Been a lot of people taken. Descriptions always match, do they? Close enough, yeah. Now and then there's a little difference, but they all match up close enough. Still using the same bad border. Uh-huh. You notice that even though they changed the name of the company on the check, changed the heading all around, they use the same border on all of them. Yeah, I see. Look, there in the lower left-hand corner. See? Yeah. Plate's broken. little break in the border. Mm-hmm. All the checks they pass have the same thing.
3: Yeah, well, you wouldn't notice it unless you're really looking for it, would you? Well,
4: that's it. All the reports are there. Everything that's been done, it's in your lap now. Need anything, let me know.
3: Right. Okay, Skipper, we'll get right on it. Well, from the package here, sure looks like they're scoring good, doesn't it? How much they got? Let's see. Figures about (laughs) $70,000. All the bulletins we put out. Know the people you cast checks for. Yeah,
4: 70,000. It's a lot of money, isn't it? Sure is. If people would just
8: read those
3: bulletins. They never learn, huh? 10.02 AM. We started through the package. The check forgers had been working for over a year. They'd passed phony checks all over the southern part of the state. The amounts on the checks varied from $50 to $275. They carried 10 different endorsements. The names and signatures had been run through our files, but we'd gotten no identification. The writing had been checked by Don Meyer, but there were no examples in the files that matched. During the next two days, we finished canvassing the print shops in the area in an attempt to find where the bad checks were being printed. We came up with no new information. Additional circulars were gotten out to all stores and check-cashing agencies in the area, giving the description of the two men and lists of the companies the checks had been drawn upon. Photographs of the checks pointing out the border defect were also distributed. Two weeks went by. No results. Informants had been checked and rechecked. Known forgers had been questioned. The victims of the forgers had been shown the mug books. They failed to make any identification. From what they'd told us, we had the artist in the crime lab draw up a composite picture of the two men. Copies of these were distributed to the people and organizations most likely to cash the phony checks. Lieutenant Saunders and Sergeant Bomey finished their investigation up in San Francisco and joined us in the search for the forgers. Tuesday, April 27th, 1014 AM, Frank and I checked back into the office. Lousy thing.
4: Yeah, the
3: clutch was out You know, I thought it was a pin Sure felt like it Funny feeling, when you press down, there's nothing there yeah. Did he say when it would be ready? I thought he could have it for us in the morning I'll check the business office and get another car yeah, We'll try to get a good one, The huh? Last one we drew was about to fall apart Yeah I'll get it Forgery, Friday Yes, ma'am Yes, ma'am, that's right What? Uh-huh, what was that address again? Yes, ma'am, I have it yeah. Yeah, well, do everything you can. Yes, ma'am, right away. we will get your coat. What is it? Check cashing agency out on Pico. The guy's there now. <laughs> Frank and I left the office and checked out another car. We drove out to the check cashing agency on Pico. It was located near a large tool and die plant, and they advertised that they cashed payroll checks. 10.33 AM. We parked the car and went into the store. Yes, ma'am. Are you the one that placed the call?
5: I sure am. I stalled him, like you said. That's him back there. Uh-huh. I told him that he'd have to wait for the manager to get back and open the safe. He got pretty huffy about it at first, then he said he'd wait. I think he's been drinking.
3: Yes, ma'am. All right, we'll talk to him.
5: He's the one. You'll see. I spotted him right away. Took one look at him, and I knew he was the one you have been looking for. All right,
3: ma'am. Let's go. Sure fits the description. He's the one. Excuse me. Yeah? You wanted to cash a check, did you? Yeah, that's right. What wonder if we could see your identification. The young lady has
5: it. Here it is his driver's license, and his social security card.
3: All right, thank you. Leslie P. Bergen,
6: is that right? That's what it says. Yeah, we've seen it before. I wonder if we could see that check.
5: You bet, I'll get it for you.
6: Well, look, there's no reason to make a federal case out of this. Give me the check, and I'll go someplace else. I tell you, though, you act like this to everybody who comes in here, you ain't gonna stay in business long. Yeah.
5: Here you are, officer. Here's the check.
6: What's she talking about? What? Officer. She called him officer. What are you, cops? You called him. How about it, Joe? Yeah, broken border. Where'd you get
3: this check, mister?
6: Well, what do you mean, where'd I
3: get it? They gave it to me at the plant. Gave you this check, huh?
6: Yeah, that's right. Say, what's this all about, anyway? How come you guys are so interested?
3: I wonder if we can see what you got in your pockets.
6: No, I don't have to show you. It's none of your business.
3: You've been drinking, mister?
6: None of your business. You got no call to act like that. All right, this? come
3: on, let's see what's in your pockets.
6: Well, what's that going to prove? Now, look,
3: Bergen, if you haven't done anything wrong, then you got no reason not to show us, have you?
6: Yeah?
3: Oh, all right. Put the things here
6: on the counter. All huh? right. Mm-hmm. You guys are going to regret this, you know. Is that right? You just bet. i got a lot of friends in pretty high places, and they're going to hear about this. You guys be sorry you ever started this. Uh-huh. All right, come on. You can go a little faster than that can't you? All right,
3: here. Here's some keys, chains, money clip. All right, pick up the money and keep that with you. Now, just the money. Now the back pockets. Back pockets? That's right. We want to see what's in them, too.
6: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, all righty. I'm glad to cooperate with the law. Nice to know you guys are this alert. I'm glad to know you're doing your duty.
3: Yeah, come on. Let's get to those back pockets, shall
6: we? Say, what's your name? Friday. Cop, huh? That's right. Friday, huh? Yeah. What's your first name? Joe. Joe Friday. That's right. Now, come on. Get the stuff out of your back pockets.
3: What are you stalling up? I bet enough? you
6: think I'm trying to hide something in there, huh? Well, you're wrong. I got nothing to hide. There's my wallet, comb, and that's all. This
3: key here? Yeah. Keys to your car?
6: But no, I don't have a
5: no, oh, that's not true, officer. I saw him drive up. That's his car out in front, the red Ford.
6: Is that right, Bergen? Well, now, maybe it is, and then maybe again it isn't. You want to check on it, Frank? Yeah. Here's key. Right. I hate to think of it. I really do. What's that? Trouble you guys are going to get into when my friends in high places hear about this. Yeah, yeah. sure. Must look at your wallet, huh? Why, uh, you bet. Always glad to cooperate with the law. No, you hold
3: it. Just open it up. Any money in it?
6: I told you the money's in the money clip. Right here, you told me to keep it. You don't remember
3: very well, do Please, you? these your cards here? Business cards? Uh, let me see. Uh... Here. Yeah, certainly. am my... I. Leslie Paul Bergen, business advisor. I thought you said you worked at the plant.
6: Part-time job. What's your name? Friday. What's your first name? Joe, I told you. Joe Friday, huh? I would remember that and tell my friends in high places. How about your coat pockets? Anything in them? Well, cigarettes, maybe handkerchiefs, matches. That's about all. All right, let's see them. All righty. Sure nice to know that we've got officers like you, always doing your duty. Yeah, see? Nothing.
3: Mm-hmm. What'd you say you got this check? What check? This one here, the one you tried to cash. Oh, yeah, that check. Yeah, that check. That's the one.
6: Well, I got it from a friend. Uh, he asked me to cash it for him. Just so happened I had the money, so I did. Anything wrong with cashing a check for a friend?
3: How come the check's made out to you?
6: They always make checks out to me. Always do, down at the plant.
3: Now, look, mister, you got your stories all mixed up here. Let's go downtown and get this thing straightened out, shall we? Joe. Yeah. We hit it. Twenty-three checks all made out
4: to him. Found them in the glove compartment of the car. The car's registered to a Leslie R. Doyle.
6: What's his name? Smith.
3: First name. Frank. Frank Smith. What is this? No, he's a happy drunk. Oh. He's checked yours, Doyle. Well, let me see.
6: Never saw those in my life. Well, we found them in your car. Oh, I certainly don't understand that. In my car? Yes, huh? that's right. Now, come on, let's go downtown. Where are we going? Downtown. What's your name? Smith. Frank Smith. Phony name. You will my friends hear about this policeman using an alias. My friends are gonna hear about this, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, in high places.
3: 10.57 a.m. The suspect admitted that his true name was Leslie Doyle and that the car belonged to him. We took him to the city hall. Frank ran the name through R&I, but we got no make on him. His prints were rolled, but there was no record on him. A communication was gotten off to George Brereton, C.I.I. Sacramento, and one was sent to Washington. Eleven thirty 30 a.m we took him to the interrogation room to question him
6: i told you i don't know where the checks came from they were found in your car so they were found in my car that means they're mine looks like you had something
3: to do with it they all were made out to you the phony id you got there
6: well maybe it's a joke maybe it's somebody's idea of a gag well huh? it's not very funny is it doyle well, you don't have to tell me say you got another aspirin my head's coming apart frank you got yeah. It? here yeah thanks got some water i will get some for you. Oh, never mind. I'll take it without. I thought you might have a tap here. What? Sure. You turn it on and let it drip, and then you don't give people none until they answer your questions. Yeah, sure. You take pills like I do, you get to a point where the only important thing is to get them in your stomach. But. Uh. All right. Now, how about the checks, huh? I told you a hundred times I didn't know anything about them. Then maybe we better fill you in, huh? Yeah, go ahead. i like to hear.
3: We got you for trying to pass a check this morning, didn't we? You want to cop out to that?
6: So maybe one check. Like I said, that's no crime. I cashed it for a guy. Maybe it was the same guy who applied to the other ones Oh, why car. don't you come off
3: it, Doyle? Let's stop playing games here. We made you for the forgeries and you know it. Your description matches the one we got. You turn up with 23 checks made out to you, all drawn on different companies. The border on the checks matches the ones we're looking for. We got witnesses who identify you. I why not save a lot of time and admit it?
6: Come on, Doyle. Doyle? Don't look like there's any other way, does it? Not from here. Hmm. Well, if I cop out, will it help any? What do you mean? Like you said, now let's stop playing games. Will it help me out any? You're liable for one to 14 on each count. And if I help? All we can do is see that it's marked down that way. That's all? That's all. Well, then I got nothing to lose but not talking. That's the wrong way to look at it. You guys haven't come up with any other way. We don't make deals, Doyle. You know that. Well, all right. I'll play it that way, too.
3: Now, let's get this 510, huh? Your true name, Leslie Richard Doyle?
6: Yeah.
3: Charge, suspicion 470PC, forgery, April twenty seven. Where do you live, Doyle? I told you once. Well, tell us again, would you?
6: 19,540 North Edge Hill Avenue. Is that a private home? No, it's an apartment. What's the number? Jay, you got another aspirin. This headache's the worst one I ever had.
3: Don't worry, they're gonna get worse. We continued to talk to Doyle. He told us that he'd come from back east about a year and a half ago. He said that he'd never been arrested and he had no record. He refused to tell us who his confederate was in the forgery operation, and he told us that we'd get no help from him in proving that he was mixed up in it. We booked him at the main jail, and then we got in touch with Lieutenant Saunders and Sergeant Bomey. Together with them, we arranged a special show-up. The victims of the forgers were asked to be present and 12 of them gave us a positive identification of Doyle as the man who'd victimized them. The others said that he was not the man. When confronted with this information, Doyle confessed to being one of the men involved, but he still refused to name his accomplice. A week went by. Each day, we questioned Doyle. Gradually, we pieced together a picture of their operation. Doyle still refused to tell us where we could find his partner. The kickback from Washington and Sacramento arrived, but gave us no new information. All known friends and associates of Doyle were checked out. From them, we found out that Doyle did work with another man, but that none of the witnesses could identify him. The rumble was that the two men had split up because of Doyle's drinking. We were able to get little other information on the missing partner. Wednesday, May 5th, 11.40 a.m., Frank and I checked into Captain Welsh's office.
4: How about it? No,
3: nothing, Skipper. He says that he knew Doyle, but he doesn't know the other man.
4: Any of the other leads pan out? No, none of them. Hmm. Where do you go from here?
3: Well, talking to Doyle's friend, we found out they used to hang out down around Wilshire and Olympic. You know that area down there? Yeah. Well, Frank and I have been talking it over. Looks like about the only way to bring them out is to go looking for them.
4: Yeah, so you guys go down there, eh?
3: Well, we checked on that. The bunch down there aren't too chummy. They don't talk to strangers much, so we figured that maybe the best idea would be for one of us to go undercover. Maybe pose poses a thief, buy our stolen goods, something like that. We might get a line on them that way. Yeah, might work. Well, not much choice now. We've tried about everything else. Well, which one of
4: you is going to do it? Well, I thought maybe I'd be the one. I don't know if that's such a good idea. Why not, Skipper? Joe took the last one. Yeah, but didn't you work that area when you were in Vice? Yeah, but that was a couple of years ago. Still might be some people down there who remember you. You better take this one on Friday. All right. When do you figure to start? I thought in the morning. Okay, work out the way you're going to keep in contact. All the details will give you the help you need to swing it. Right, Skipper. I don't know, Joe. Seems like you're always the one to draw this duty. Ought to be my turn sometime.
3: I'll trade with you.
1: You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. Smokers all over America are changing to Chesterfield because Chesterfields are premium quality throughout in both regular and king size. King size Chesterfield contains tobaccos of better quality
2: and higher price than any other king size cigarette. That's certainly important to every king size smoker. Of course, it's the same fine tobacco as in regular Chesterfield. There's absolutely no difference, except that king-size
1: Chesterfield gives you more than a fifth longer smoke. So remember, the modern way to sell cigarettes is the Chesterfield way. First and only cigarette with premium quality in both regular and king-size. Chesterfield is much milder.
2: Chesterfield is best for you
3: thursday may 6th, 9 30 a.m i left my apartment and went down to the vicinity of wilshire and olympic i spent an hour wandering around the bars in the area and then i checked into a small hotel down on south hill i registered as joe kelvin from phoenix arizona i told the clerk that i was in town on business and that i'd be there as long as it took me to conclude the deal i was working on i spent the afternoon in a bar on fourth street and I got friendly with a bartender. I asked him if he knew Leslie Doyle, and he told me that he'd seen him around, but that he didn't know him very well. I asked if he'd ever seen Doyle with another man. He said that he had, but he didn't know who he was. The bartender went on to say that the two men had frequent arguments, and that they usually ended up with the other man walking out and Doyle going on a drunk. He told me that I might be able to get some additional information on the man in a cafe over on Fifth Street. I spent the next three days wandering around that area, eating my meals in the restaurant. At the end of that time, I had no new leads. Frank Saunders and Bomey were still working on the case and Frank told me that the bad border check passing was still going on. Further conversations with Doyle netted them nothing. At the end of a week, I'd gotten to know one of the waitresses at the restaurant and she indicated that she knew Doyle's partner, that she knew him merely as Mac. She was unable to tell me where I could find him. I got in touch with Frank Smith and he ran the name through the moniker file and R&I, but he got no make. Friday, May 14th, 10.56 a.m., I stopped for breakfast. Morning, Joe. Hi, Agnes
10: what will it be this morning?
3: Well, let's see. Orange juice, couple of eggs, toast, and coffee, huh? Right? Eggs sunny side up? Yeah. How's the bacon?
10: Great, just like always.
3: All right, a couple of pieces. Yeah. Wanna bring the coffee right away? Yeah. Is that the morning paper? Here?
10: Yeah. Thank you.
3: What happened to the sports page?
10: Here. You don't look good this morning, Bad and I?
3: Yeah. I had trouble getting to sleep last night. Mm
10: hmm. How's the deal coming?
3: Oh, all right. I should wind it up in a couple of days.
10: What business are you in anyway?
3: Oh, you could call me kind of a broker, I guess. That right? Yeah. Coffee's good to hot.
10: Yeah. Just what does that mean? What, the coffee? being a broker.
3: Oh, I buy things for a price and I resell them for more.
10: Things you buy, they hot?
3: Well, why do you ask that?
10: Just wondered. Rumbles around that you're in town buying stolen stuff.
3: Is that right? That's
10: what they say. Is it true?
3: I don't know. I've been talking to the same people as you.
10: that the reason you want to get in touch with Mac?
3: Well, look, if I answer that, I've answered the first question, haven't I?
10: Is that the reason, Joe?
3: Oh, it might be. Where's the sports page? Is it around? Why, do you know where I can get in touch with them?
10: I like you, Joe.
3: Yeah, well, I think you're nice, too. I'd like to have the sports page if you could find it for me.
10: No, I mean it. I think you're all right.
3: Well, thanks, Agnes. That's nice of you to say that.
10: You've never tried to get fresh. Different from most of the guys that come in here. Is that right? Sure. Guys all the time getting fresh asking me out. Not you, Joe. You got a girl in Phoenix?
3: Oh, I might have, yeah. I've been back for a while, you know.
10: Mm-hmm. Lucky girl. What's she like, Joe? Who's that? Girl in Phoenix.
3: Oh, I guess she's a little like you. She's a nice girl. You
10: want to get married?
3: Well, I don't know. It kind of depends on this deal here I'm working on.
10: It'd be nice if you got married. I'm going to get married someday.
3: That'll be nice. it
10: be real nice if you got married. Depends on this deal, huh?
3: Yeah, that's right.
10: Okay. I'll tell you how to get in touch with Mac.
3: 11.14 a.m. I continued to talk to Agnes. She told me that she didn't know where Mac lived, but that she could put me in touch with a man who might. She gave me the address, and I drove over to the place. It was a rooming house on South Vermont. I talked to the man. He told me that he'd seen Mac during the past week and that as far as he knew, the suspect was still living in an apartment house on 7th Street, 1.15 p.m. I called the office and Frank Smith came out to meet me. We arrived at the apartment house and talked to the manager, a Mrs. Nancy Holmes. She told us that she had a tenant named McLean who answered the description we gave her. She told us that McLean had lived in the apartment for the past eight months. She went on to say that she didn't know what business he was in, but that up until a few weeks ago, he was in the company of a man called Doyle. Her description of the man matched that of the suspect. 2.46 p.m., in the company of the manager, we went through McLean's apartment. We found 14 checks made out to him, and all of them drawn on large companies. All of them had the same broken printed border. Frank and I waited for him to return. 5.32 p.m.
6: What are you doing here? Your name Gene McLean? Yeah, who are you? Police officers. These checks here. Where'd you get those? On the desk over there. You got no right to go through my things. We'll talk about that downtown. Come on, let's go. Now, look, maybe you guys made a mistake, huh? Maybe you got the wrong fella. Can't we work something out? This is a pretty good thing. There's enough for everybody. I'm sure we can make a deal. Huh? No reason to act like this. Where's the press, mister? Huh? The press you print these up on. Where is it? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know anything about a press. I don't even know what you're talking about. It won't work, McLean. We got Doyle. What's he told you? All we need. Well, then he's told you where the press is, too. We're asking you about that, Mister. Well, like I said, I don't know what you're talking about. You drive a car, McLean. Yeah. Where'd you park it? On the street. No garages in this crummy place.
5: No, that's not true, Mister McLean. i oh,
6: keep your nose out of this. You've been spouting off too much already.
5: That's not true, Mister McLean. I heard everything from the hall. These officers asked me some questions, and I answered them. The Police've never given me any trouble. Ten years I've been managing this place, never had no trouble before. Now you come in here and louse things no, up.
6: Turn it off. Come on, let's get out of here.
5: Now you just wait a minute. Come in here and call this a crummy place. You didn't know I heard you, did you? Well, I did. Listen, officer, he's lying when he says he doesn't have a garage. He may keep his car out on the street. Maybe that part's true, but he's got a garage you just bet he has. Come on, let's get out of here.
8: Stick
6: around here and listen to this loony old bag. She's cracking up. Where is the garage, ma'am?
5: I'll show you. It's just down the street. It's an old place. They rent it from the Pearsons. Just down the street. I'll show you. Crummy old
6: bat. Real harpy. Sticking her nose in where it don't belong. Why don't you talk to me like that.
5: I don't know what it is that these officers are looking for, but I'll just bet they'll find it there.
3: 6.27 p.m. Mrs. Holmes showed us down the street to a garage set behind a large house. The door was locked, but McLean produced the key. We went over the place, but we found nothing. 6.55 p.m.
6: Satisfied now? Told you there wasn't anything wrong. I told you you wouldn't find anything here. It's got to be here someplace, Joe. Yeah. How long you had this place, McLean? A Couple of months. Now we not check the owner on that. Aren't you guys ever going to give up? You maybe got me in custody, but that don't mean you're ever going to be able to prove anything. I think
3: maybe we'll be able to.
6: Joe. Yeah? Take a look here. On the floor.
3: Mm-hmm. Look here. See the old wooden floor and most of the nails are all rusted over? And right here, they look pretty new. Looks like the wood's been moved. Mm-hmm.
6: How about this, McLean? I don't know what you're talking about.
3: Grab that hammer, will you, Frank, over there? Yeah, sure. Here you go. All right. Now, maybe we can take a look.
6: You guys, you're wasting your time. You know that, don't you?
3: Yeah, well, it's our time. Don't you worry about it. You want to give me a hand here, Frank? Yeah. All right. You got it? I got it. All right. It's all dug out down there. Yeah. let take a look. There's something down there. How about this, McLean? I don't know what you're talking about.
6: The press, huh? Yeah, wait a minute. I'm package over here. Let's see what's in it. Look, you got no right to come in here, and tear up the place. I'm going to see a lawyer about this. How about it, Joe? Yeah. Printing press. Take a look. Huh. Engravers plates. Look. Here's the broken border. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, McLean. Let's go. You just wait. My lawyer's going to hear about this. Is that right? Yeah. You bet it's right. Come in here, tear up the floor. You got no warrant. You got no right. Sick of being shoved around by you guys.
3: You haven't got any beef, McLean. I'll
6: decide that. No, you're wrong. Huh? Somebody else is going to do that.
1: The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On August 25th, trial was held in Department 89, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Friends, here are two
3: important things to remember. Everything that goes into your Chesterfield makes it the premium quality cigarette. And it's the only cigarette that gives scientific evidence of real smoking pleasure. Try much milder Chesterfields today. They're best for you.
1: Leslie Paul Doyle and Gene Raoul McLean were tried and convicted of ten counts of forgery. They received their sentences as prescribed by law and are now serving their term in the state penitentiary, San Quentin, California. Forgery is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not less than one, nor more than 14 years. Ladies and gentlemen, with long-range aircraft and atomic bombs,
2: the enemy is only hours away from where you live. Our Air Defense Command relies on radar to detect enemy aircraft. But it is possible for low-flying planes to remain undetected, You can help defend America by volunteering for the Ground Observer Corps, a group of civilian men, women, and teenagers who report the presence and activity of aircraft. For information, write or phone your nearest civil defense center.
1: You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Prasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Art Gilmore, Whit Connor. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking.
2: For a million laughs, tune in Chesterfield's Martin and Lewis show Tuesday night on this same NBC station. And sound off for Chesterfield. Regular or king size. You'll find premium quality Chesterfields much milder. Chesterfield
1: is best for you. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet transcribed from Los Angeles.
6: Tonight, it's
3: Adventure with Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator on NBC.
0: Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days. If you enjoyed this presentation of Dragnet, please do stop a moment and send us a kind review. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for being great listeners, and we'll be back soon. Oh, by the way, we bring episodes here every Sunday afternoon at noon Eastern Time, and every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m., so twice a week here at 1001 Radio Days. Same way with 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Sundays and Wednesdays. Thanks for joining us.